you know, Kurt came to our house in the summer of 1986 um, and met Tim, John, and my mom. And it was a very brief interaction, you know, mm -hmm. really uneventful outside of, you know, mom would have helped just about anybody. And so then how do you time, how do you go forward 10 years, 11 years, and mom starts bringing up, you know, do you remember that kid? Welcome back to the Own Your Awkward podcast. I'm your host, Andy Vargo. And every episode, we get into what has made our guests vulnerable and how they've learned how to own their awkward in order to live their best life. Stay tuned so you can hear every awkward moment in today's show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Own Your Awkward. Today's guest is very special. I have my cousin here. He's an author. He's put together an amazing book that's coming out soon. Uh, Joe Holscher. Joe, how are you? I'm great, Andy. It's really good to see you. You too. Uh, you know, it's so funny when you shared that you were writing this book. I was like, oh my gosh. I, you know, I didn't know that you were writing. I didn't know you were working on anything. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy, holy crap. Someone's doing something really awesome that I'm related to. It's just, it's a cool feeling. And uh, it's, it's a nice surprise. So. Congrats on, on getting it done and having it coming out soon. I appreciate that. Uh, I know you understand it's it's a lot of work to put together a book. Definitely. And uh, I don't know if you ran into this, but uh, the the time that you think it's going to come out always seems to get pushed back further and further. Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. I thought when I started this, it was like three works of really three weeks of really quick writing. And I thought I'd wrote a book. Uh-huh. Right. Looking back, that's two and a half years ago. Right. Um, and that in hindsight is just free writing. Mm -hmm. You know, where you, you just gotta get it on paper. And then the editing process itself is something different. Right. And then you get into book layout and you realize there's more to be written. Mm -hmm. um, and you write some more. In fact, um, even though this is being published, I just submitted another revision. You know, after talking with Brother Terry and Pops over the weekend, oh, uh -huh. well, we can say this, or maybe we should change that. Okay. And everybody has an opinion. So at some point, you just got to ink it and go. Right. Yeah, it, it is hard because there's that line between trying to make things the best that they can and not letting that desire to continually improve everything hold you back from moving forward and actually just putting it out there. Right. Right. That's the big leap. Yeah, something I struggle with, but in, in every aspect, it's like I had project I was working on last week to get um, some leads out there and had this flyer I was working on. I was like, I can't, I can't wait to send it out to, you know, make every little revision on every little word that I think about uh, when I have, I've already put plenty of thought into it. It's like, it's got to go and I can update it later and the next one can be, uh, can be different or better or whatever, but. Yep. Can't let that perfection hold you back. Never ending. Never ending. Definitely. Well, uh, we're going to hear about your book in a minute. And a sneak peek, everybody, uh, it involves Kurt Cobain. So we're going to hear about that in a minute. And you're going to want to hear about this book because it's pretty awesome. Uh, but before that, I got a couple questions for you. And I like to start out finding out what the most positive thing you see in the world is right now. Yeah, um, well, it's... It's easy to put the marker in time of the pandemic. You know, we all got shut down and it's it's we're we're now back to where we can get out and be engaged with people. Um, you know, entertainment and acts and and people in the stands and 
and getting back to to living from that perspective. Um, that's that's a really a big one. Um, you know, we're we're a couple of years behind it now, and uh, that's that's probably the most exciting thing for me is to mm-hmm. to get back and being around people and putting yourself out there. Yeah, and and you have. Uh really stepped into that with having a book coming out speaking of putting yourself out there <laughs> yeah you don't you don't have a choice um, yeah. and that's that's a little awkward in itself just the whole process of if that's not your normal personality to self-promote mm-hmm. um, it can I, I realize i i sweat when i talk to people <laughs> and i i don't realize I'm, i might be shaking mm-hmm. uh, as as i'm um, answering questions and trying to tell the story and be confident so yeah um, yeah that's a that's a big growth in itself but um you know i, I just i like i get energy from being around people okay um you know, yeah. you, you know you you know whether you're an empath or an intuitive but like when somebody else is is achieving success or the team's winning you you sense and feel it and you jump right in with them and Woohoo! Right. You know, like watching the World Cup, I may not be in, engaged with a particular team, but if somebody makes an extremely good play and the team wins, or the same with the Little League World Series, you know, watching those 12 year olds that, you know, you can guarantee it when it's loser out, when one team wins, they're going to jump up and down and throw their hats. And you look over at the other side and some poor little kid's going to be, uh, be crying because his dream yeah. is over. And, and, you know, that's what, that gives me a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a good perspective too, because especially when you think about it at the little league level, because you know we think about <clears throat> excuse me, adults in sports, and you know you have the winning team and they're excited, and it's 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 harder. It's it's not as intuitive to have as much sympathy for an adult who loses a game, but when you look at a kid who like everything was online for them, this might be the first big loss, and it's very public. Um, it's a whole different level. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a good perspective. So Joe, um, I'd like to put everybody on the spot here and find out about your awkward and, uh, especially, you know, being family, it's kind of fun to know like, ah, what's my cousin's awkward thing I've never known about. (laughs) So, so what is your awkward you've had to own? Well, you know, let's go, let's go back to the early days. So, um, you know, like you went to a Catholic school, private school, and we had large families. Um, so there wasn't, you were probably the hand-me-down champion in your family. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the clothes yeah. got to you after they'd been worn by three brothers. Or two, or two brothers. And um, so um, I was the second of, of the six. Um but I had poor vision. And so mm-hmm. I had to wear glasses. And due to costs, dad and the fact that glasses could be broken real easy, dad kept uh, my older brother and myself in black frame glasses, the Buddy Hollies. Uh-huh. Um, so having to wear black frame glasses through ninth grade was, was uh, interesting for me. You know, I didn't really think about it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I just knew that I was a little bit different than the other kid um, going up. And then the second thing that happened when I was, I think I was 13, I fell in a gymnasium and really popped my mouth. And one of my, my front teeth was chipped. Um, and another one actually fell out altogether. 
Oh and wow! So they they put it they put it back in, and some some dental tape held it together until I stopped growing. So so from thirteen through sixteen, the tooth they put that in started to darken. Plus, I oh, had no. a chip tooth. So now not only was I wearing black frame glasses, but um, one of my teeth started to turn brown. Oh so no! So it was between junior and senior year where dad blessed me and sent me to the dentist and they <laughs> you got the nice smile now they, they got the the, uh, the greatest front four teeth in the world so um, <laughs> That's awesome. i could i could let my smile shine then it, it never stopped me from smiling but when i look back at pictures and, and you know right now my facebook profile picture is my ninth grade picture which highlights that that awkward kid mm -hmm. yeah so you know, you you come out of a private school and then you go to the public school. You know that's the first big leap, but then you're showing up with black frame glasses and and you know a you know a tooth that's darkening and a chip tooth and, and you don't let it stop you. You just smile, right? You're smiling, you know, with your day. But that was kind of a growth period for me um, that I remember feeling a little awkward or a little different mm -hmm. than the other kids. Um, so so that's a great a great starting point from there. Um, um, outside right. of that, you know, there's a lot of interesting personality traits that make you unique that maybe you don't recognize early on in life. And um, I realize now that I I have both extrovert and introvert tendencies. Okay. Um, you know, I like to engage with people and get out there, but then I realize it exhausts me, and I really need that. You know, some time to sit back and you know it might be a day or two where i don't do anything interacting right. with people and um kind of accepting who that is and um balance that with maybe you have a lot of um intuition and empathy towards people and you have to kind of um, set some personal boundaries where you um you can't over engage right um, and, and other people may like that is why you're so sensitive you're so outgoing well it's kind of how we're all unique in different ways. We're all built differently. And um, it, it doesn't mean you're weird. And I like the word, well, it's okay to be awkward then. Yeah, right. Well, and and it's like you mentioned, like you you might have events or something going on for a day or two, but then you know you need to recover for a couple of days or set some time to recharge. And it's one of those things where the the key really is to knowing yourself and knowing how, we react and what we're going to need. Like, yes, I can do this. Yes, I want to do this thing. But that also comes with me needing to do this other thing where I have some a day or two off and setting our schedules up accordingly so that we don't burn out. Right. That's, that's truth. And then you get involved in the process of learning. Um, you can, mm -hmm. you don't want to overanalyze, but at the same time, it's the more you know, I think the more helpful it is to own your awkward. Yeah. And yeah. you know, that you can be comfortable. Okay. You, you, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, this makes up who you are and, and embrace it. Embrace sure. it and run with it. Definitely. So I want to go back to that ninth grade time frame where you've got the messed up teeth and the, the glasses you don't like, which is funny because for a while they came, you know, black frame came back and it was the trendy thing. Um, yeah. last few years and I, I almost I'm I'm curious about that too like did you ever you know start to think oh now they're cool but uh but you when you were in that time and you you've got this 
stuff going on where you you're feeling like, <clears throat> oh my gosh, I you know, I got my smile going one way, I got these glasses I don't feel bet feel that great about. Did that hold you back from developing a friend group or from being in the doing the things you wanted to do in that age? You probably you probably found this out yourself, but you probably went to school the first eight years with the same peer group. Mm -hmm. So going into public school, you still had that peer group. Right. Um, there were people you could talk to, but um, I've decided that I was going to play basketball. That was, you know, what I was going to do. Um, and um, so once I got to about November and basketball practice started, you know, I made the team and was a pretty good player. I then, I then made friends with one of the managers on the team, um, my buddy Chuck. Mm -hmm. um, promo placement Gibson's custom meats and Lacey Washington look up Gibby. Uh, yeah that buddy <laughs> yeah so um you know immediately a, a friendship with him and and then when we grew up around San Ben Park there was another young man um Rich that you know he was in ninth grade and we never went to to the private school together but we knew each other from growing up and playing in the park so you know he's been a friend for life since then so um you know, that first year I made a couple friends and then by sophomore year, um, I'd gotten contact lenses and I was really coming out of my shell. And from there, you know, it came a little more natural mm -hmm. engaging with people. But that first year, yeah, um, you know, I was kind of a quiet kid. And um, when I smile, I squint. Mm. Um, and so there were some rumors about, hmm, I wonder what that kid does during break. <laughs> you know, but no, my, my eyes weren't squinting because of other reasons. It's just they they close when I smile. Yeah, I think that's a family trait. Cause... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and that's, I think there's something critical to just like making that one good connection or a couple of good connections. We I think we see people a lot of times as the popular kids or or whatever who seem to be in all the groups. But really having those those meaningful connections are a lot more important they they can actually they're, they're more true friends a lot of times because you actually have good conversations you have each other's backs and and there's a lot more concern i think absolutely absolutely those are fun times definitely so have do you have remnants of that time frame like when you step into new situations do you sometimes feel like that ninth grader with the glasses where you're going, uh, I, you know, I got to just step through this uncomfortable feeling right now. Yeah. It, it actually happened a lot. I, so as I, as I moved away from Aberdeen, I was a, I was a retail junkie kind of thing. I worked for Sears, uh, for, for 20 plus years. And in order to survive in retail, you take the next promotion just mm -hmm. so you can keep moving along. And so, I moved a lot. Um, and at two different times in my career, the company did geographical reorgs. Um, mm. And so like I was living in Redding, California, but I reported to Portland. Oh. Um, for some reason, Redding was part of the Portland group. Well, they changed it. And now you're in Sacramento. Mm. My entire career was based out of the Northwest. So I get moved to a new region where I don't know one person. Wow. And you show up at your first meeting and there's a hundred people there and it's a social two hour social hour the night before the meeting starts. 
So you walk into a room with a hundred people and you don't know one person. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you, you go to the counter and you get yourself a, a beverage and you stand next to the bartender. <laughs> and people come up, you know, you know, hey, there's somebody to talk to. And eventually you meet people and you mingle and you, you come like a, a fish swimming with all the other fish. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of fall in line and, and eventually, you know, you get through one meeting and now, you know, the people that are, maybe there's 15 that are part of your closer group out of this hundred. And, and next thing you know, you know, a year later, you now have a network um, from an entire region that you didn't have before. So now you actually have um, twice the amount of people you can call when you have a question or you need some help or. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah. Um, so that I, I can really remember what it felt like walking in that room um, and <laughs> I, not knowing anybody. I love that you share that because there's a couple things there that are so critical. One is that by design, you could strategically be in a place to start to meet some people and to make some connections. And we forget that sometimes we think I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to sit at a table and no one's walking up to me and saying hi. And it's not because they don't like you. They don't even know you. They're just saying hi to their buddies and the people they know. And, and it's, we don't always have the courage. I I know I don't, I'm, I'm extroverted, but I'm pretty shy when I go into new situations. So I don't walk up and just make myself comfortable going, Hey, everybody, what's going on? So I love yeah. this strategy of standing next to the bartender. <laughs> yeah. And, and then at the same time, you know, you can identify other people that maybe aren't talking to other people or maybe sure. feel out of place and, Oh, my kind of person, let's go say hello. Yeah, you can form that alliance of, are, are you new here too? Because I'm new here and I feel like you yeah. might be new or, yeah. Absolutely. There's there's definitely something about um, shared experiences that brings people together. Yeah, so that, that repeated itself multiple times because then, you know, I le left Sears and went to Bass Buy um, and now you're starting all over again with nobody you know. Right. Uh, you know, one person and you know within you know two three years you've built yourself up another network of people that you know and now you wonder why you have so many friends on linkedin and it's because well you've you've worked with so many people and you've you've created long-term business relationships oops bumped my yeah. camera there it wasn't quite it's all good yeah it's it, um and and like you said as you meet people from those different areas you now have added to your network you've added to the to the support that you have. And like you said, some of them become lifelong supporters or friends who you now expanded your circle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Quite a bit of that. One thing that I, I really want to point out too, that you said was how, you know, you get to know people. And at first you have that 10 or 15 that, you know, and then pretty soon it's a few more. And by the end of a year, you have this whole, you know, double the size of your network from the previous district you were in. Because I think we get so uh, impatient and not getting immediate uh, immediate reward that we tend to feel like, oh, if, if I don't step in and feel comfortable and part of the group on day one, then I must be the outsider. And yet all of those other relationships took a lot of time to develop. And we, we have to meet people the first time. And then the next time we see them, that's where we build on the start of that relationship. And over time... That's where you have that true relationship, that real support that you then can actually lean into and say, wait, I feel like I'm part of this now. Yep. 
Yeah, building out the team, being part of the team. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I'm I'm curious how that felt. Like when you had that happen at Sears and all of a sudden you're the one guy in a new district and then you change to a different company and you're in a similar situation. How was it the second time? Were you able to say, you know what, I've done this before? Or was it like, oh gosh, here we go again? Uh, well, going to Best Buy was extremely difficult because the culture was 100% different. Oh, okay. um, Sears really had a lot of long-term employees that have come up through the ranks and were very supportive. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to Best Buy, and I don't want to, I want to bash the company, but at the time, it was what I would call a high testosterone-driven, okay, uh, male male-dominated. Where uh, Sears had a really strong mix of diversity mm -hmm. um, in the management pool. And Best Buy seemed to reward um, a a type A um, oh, gotcha. dominant driven manager. They wanted the, the enthusiastic hard charger. And if you had a different management style, um, it depended on who your manager was. I had one manager would, would um, call it out as a strength that you know, you're not afraid to call out the white elephant in the room. Mm. Um, you have a different way of doing it. And then the next manager says, well, your style is disruptive because oh. you bring up things that aren't needed. Yeah. You know, Interesting. Go from one side to the other. And, and then that would be the challenge. So, yeah. Uh, but, but in the end, you know, there are people that I met at it, <laughs> excuse me, Best Buy that are still a strong part of my network. Mm -hmm. uh, there's, there's good people in every organization. Yeah, and I think that's the thing to remember is whatever situation we're in, we have to find the connections, the people where we have the similar mindset to get through it. Um, I had a job a few years back where two weeks in, there was another guy who'd been hired two weeks after me, and we didn't talk much. And about three weeks after working together, it was how did you end up here? And do you see how messed up this is as much as I do? And then we were finally like, we just bonded from then on and we're still good friends. And we worked there about the same length of time before we ended up moving on. But it was, it was like, wow. I, Cause you, you know, when you're new in a place, you don't want to, um, you don't know who you can trust. You don't know who's friends with who, or if they came on board because they're, you know, best buddies with the boss. <laughs> right. Yeah, to be very careful sometimes to not step on a landmine. Yeah. Say the wrong but, thing to the wrong person. Yeah, and it's like, pretty soon you're just like, wait, are you used to getting yelled at like this? Or is that just, <laughs> am, I, am I the bad one here? Like, am I the eight oddball out? Because this doesn't seem right. Yeah, the the diverse set of, ma diverse set of management styles. Um, yeah. I, don't, I don't like to get yelled at. Yeah, That's, me either. And, you know... Back then, I, I I didn't stand up for myself. I'm a much different place now, but uh, now I don't think I would have lasted, you know, past the first conversation like that, where I'm like, no, uh, we're not going to do this. See you later. But, but that's, I, that's I all agree. Through. Yeah. So, I, so how is um, your perspective of, you know, having that, those experiences younger and, and as you move through life, how is that? set you up for success in a different way from other people hmm. success from that well <laughs> i'm i'm uh because i've actually been in so many different 
kind of roles and experiences, um, I am pretty comfortable now meeting and interacting with people mm-hmm. um, of, of all walks of life um, and being able to have a natural conversation uh, yeah. more so in the, in the one-on-one, you know, when you, when you have a chance to, um, to meet somebody and, and have a real conversation. Right. Um, that's probably helped me more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, having been around that, um, then also being exposed to so many different management styles um, right. and different people. Um, it prepares you to get through different situations. Um, my, my life's so much different now. You reach a point in corporate management, you know, you kind of can burn out. And so now I manage an apartment complex and my interactions are so much different. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not standing up and engaging an entire room and giving presentations um, or, or having to face, you know, critical discussions from managers. Mm-hmm. One of the a frustrating thing, not to get off topic, was, you know, to have an annual review, and then right. have the managers sit down and have to find things to talk about. Right. Um, and I could have went ten years without having a review and been just as happy and mm-hmm. just as productive, because in reality, a manager should be giving you on the spot feedback. Right. You know, throughout the year you shouldn't need a review to be the one time of the year where okay now we're going to talk about that one day where you know this happened and so we're going to give you a you know or a forced rating scale so right i'm just more glad i don't have to deal with that now yeah and it, it puts the manager in a bad spot as well because the manager then has to you know come back and think about okay well what are all the things that that we need to discuss that, like you said, should have already been discussed. And there, you know, I had a manager one time uh, during my review, she said, well, there should never be a surprise on your review. If there's a, if there's surprises or things that weren't already talked about, then your manager isn't doing a good job. And I, I always remember her saying that and thinking, I wish that other previous people thought that same way, because that's not how my other reviews have been. It's been like, Oh, you know, been meaning to talk to you about this, or we really need to do this. I'm like, well, you know, I could have fixed that three months ago if I knew that, or I, you know, it could have changed direction anytime if you would have said, Hey, we'd rather you do it this way. Right. <laughs> so. Yep. So. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's talk about this book. You've got, uh, you've got quite a career in retail and in management and corporate, but you have stepped out to a new thing. And uh, if you're listening, Joe's holding up the cover of his book. It's KCGB, The Boy from the Porch. And it's uh, My Dying Mom and Kurt Cobain, a memoir. So tell us about how you how you decided to go down this route and what the book's all about. And just tell us all the good stuff. <clears throat> you bet, you bet. So, you know, the reality is that somewhere in the mid-2000s, between 2002 and 2007, there's these conversations happening in the family room when we're all home, you know, and we only see each other a couple of times a year. And it started talking about, well, did you guys know uh, that mom met Kurt Cobain? And it's like, no way you're full of it. Never happened. Um, And so, you know, I immediately became interested. Like I think you would, or anybody would, well, what do we know? And, one brother, John, was an open book. He liked to talk about it. And 
um, Brother Tim, who had the most information, really didn't bring up a lot, didn't mm. talk about it too much. Um, so about 2007, I just started taking a lot of notes. You know, I, I don't know if you keep a journal or whatnot. At the time, it was my golf journal, but I started writing other stories in it. <laughs> nice. Um, and, and started to kind of create, well, here's what we know. And about 2011, I, I, I lucked out and caught Tim when he was home before he had to, he had to fly off to Arizona. So he was trapped, mm -hmm. he was trapped <laughs> in the living room for a couple hours. So I was able to, you know, really get his, his side of the story. Um, and from there I had an outline in my head. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, I love biographies to begin with. And then I watch a lot of movies. So in my mind, I kind of had this, um, the sixth sense with Bruce Willis at the end of the movie, you find out, well, he was dead. Mm. Um, and that there's, well, is there some way to bring, you know, you know, maybe mom doesn't know, maybe mom doesn't realize that Kurt's already passed away. And that's kind of the way that kind of laid out in my mind mm -hmm. um, when I started writing. But so then when the pandemic came around, um, you know, a couple things happened, you know, besides sitting at home a lot is the Seahawks lost in the playoffs. So oh. I was like, well, I don't need oh. to watch football anymore. <laughs> so now you've yeah. got a lot of time back. <laughs> boom, boom. It happens. And I just said, I'm going to, I'm going to hit, I pulled my stuff out and um, there's a, there's a, you know, some other personal things that happened around then mm -hmm. um, that are in the book that kind of drove me to lead me back to, that that point in time so from there i just i wrote out as much as i could um it was on notepad not even word single okay. space single space and then i'd put it like in a what i you know like a paragraph form okay what's everything about this and yeah and and laid it all out and then i started to put myself out there and i showed it to dad mm. uh, just call him pops yeah. um and Pops and Sherry read it, and um, they said, well, it kind of holds up. And and I know in the back of my dad's mind, he never expected that. <laughs> that would turn into a book. This would be the end. He's, you know, Joseph's yeah. doing some creative writing, and, you know, will he? <laughs> and it just kept evolving and evolving. And um, like you said, you know, you think it's going to be published immediately, and then mm -hmm. it takes time. Well, I, I, a summer ago, I thought I'm ready. Let's get this out. Right. And then, um, I thought about it more and more and I said, no. And I let it sit for about four months where I didn't touch it. Mm -hmm. And that actually helped. Yeah. Um, it's, so, it's surprising how setting something aside and letting your brain focus on other things and things process subconsciously, then coming back and having a second look at it makes a huge difference. So, so I had some people, I sent you an early version. Yeah. Uh, um, and, you know, as you read the book or you, you may have already just spun through it, you'll see how much different it is. Yeah. I did notice a couple things and um, I haven't read this one cover to cover because I have the early version, but I uh, it's on my list for this next week to sit through and actually read through and look for all those little things that are different. That you've always writing. Well then, you know, I picked it back up and I'm thinking, okay, this is ready. This is ready. And then you start to really trust beta readers, mm -hmm. you know, somebody to give you feedback. And I got some feedback that really upset me. Oh no. Um, 
you know, Pam, I'm not sure I agree with you, but she was right. Um, uh -huh. and she, she gave me some pointed direction about writing style and tips. And then I did the unthinkable and I subscribed to Grammarly. Oh, you know, <laughs> right. And, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah. Now I there's can... probably too many red lines showing up in this. We, right. So, you know, I used an editor, um, mm -hmm. uh, a ghostwriter editor to really help me get it. You know, that's Marnie Summerfield Smith out of the UK. Another plug in there. Mm -hmm. uh, Marnie was a big help. But, um, and eventually you get, and dad read every version, and eventually you get to where we're at now. And right. even then, we're, as I said earlier, we're still making minor little changes that no one else would know. Right. You know, you, you're not going to know that that changed. But to us, you know, we want it perfect. So. Well, I, I think what's what's neat is that you you mentioned, you know, Pam or whoever, maybe more than maybe than maybe more than just her giving you feedback where you say, oh, I don't like what you said. Like, that doesn't feel good. But being able to sit back and go, you know what, there's truth behind that, or it's a perspective that they're sharing it so that you can make the best book so that it can be the most successful. And if there's something that someone else is noticing where they're like, hey, I've, I read a lot of books, and this is going to be something that might get in the way of the success of it. We have to be willing to take that, even if we don't like the way it feels initially. Yeah, and uh, getting feedback isn't always easy. You know? No, it's not. <laughs> we kind of uh, right. quit helping me. Right? Know? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's it's hard to not feel picked on when we're getting feedback. Oh, especially if you were the youngest, you know what that's like. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And, and maybe that's why the youngest tend to be so ornery and uh, poking everybody else and pestering because it's kind of maybe it's a defense mechanism. That's a whole yeah. that's a whole show right there. Yeah. So, the, you know, the other the other part of the book is, you know, you remember Aunt Jo um, mm -hmm. back then, but you, it's been uh, you know, 25 years, whatever it's been now, but mom was only 61 and the closer you get to that age you know you realize how young she was yeah um, and so you know losing a parent at any age is not easy and it's not fun right um, and so I carried a, a lot of that you know I, when when mom passed I had to fly up from Utah I remember doing the same thing I did when I started writing this book is I I Typed down on my laptop, you know, everything I could remember about mom. And I actually wrote um, wrote a piece then that some of that got used in this as well. So, you know, wanting to honor mom, um, mm -hmm. knowing that you've got a story about Kurt that's there that people will pick it up and read it. Um, right. So how do you blend those two together? Um, and Kurt always advocated for the feminine Um mm -hmm you know, or the, the underserved community. Mm -hmm. um, he made sure that he was a champion and that, so overcoming the intimidation of using Kurt and the fear, uh, right. but knowing that he would support and want, you know, recognition um, for mom in this instance. So in that's, that respect, I was able to blend what I was learning about Kurt and how it fit in with mom mm -hmm. from there. Yeah. And and I, I mentioned this before we we started uh, getting on the show here, but it really, uh, you know, for me it was this twofold adventure. One was hearing 
more about your mom specifically and even history in the family that that you know a lot of stuff being the youngest i i didn't remember a lot of events or they happened before i was alive which i always hate when my siblings are like oh well, that was before andy was born i'm like of course it was but um but there was a lot of stuff that was really rich part of of you know personal history that was neat to see and learn about and more about people's personality traits that's a little sneak behind the curtain that you don't always see at thanksgiving or you know the few times a year that we could get together um but then also the whole history of Kurt and the early days in Aberdeen and and how that was woven into it, because it's not just that, hey, mom didn't know she was he was dead already. There was real history there. And um, I think related or not, you know, you're going to love the story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a you know, Kurt exaggerated life in Aberdeen growing up to kind of create a legend that he had to come out of this dark dungeon of a town. And mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's kind of changing some of the myths about growing up and realizing that, you know, you and I had a support network in our families. You know, we had mom and dads and we didn't have to go through a divorced family where, you know, that really changed Kurt's life yeah. at that point in time. And, well, you know, so, it, you know, our family just kept trugging along and then he had to deal with, um, some some different challenges that none of us had to mm -hmm. um, and, and how yet at the same time there are similarities um, so I'm really pleased with how the story works out in the end how it it tells mom's story of what she experienced but then you still follow kind of a path um, from her early days of meeting dad and us growing up and um, ending up to when she passes away and then evolving into well, how did we, how did we get to where we wrote this book? Um, right. Well, well, I'm the author, and my name's on there. Um, this is Dad. Dad's in there. His story, Tim, my brother Tim, sharing everything he could. John sharing what he could remember. Mm -hmm. My brothers and sister remembering other stories. And then I started reaching out to anybody who knew anything and asking them questions. Um, and then that led to filling more gaps or um, what my friend Chip told me is, you know, think about where you're at is that you have a tree that's sprouted with no leaves yet. And then you get main branches and then those branches start to branch off into other things. And then pretty soon you've got leaves and you've got this full tree. Right. And I never understood that analogy at first. Mm -hmm. um, but as it got to the end, and even still now, is this story about mom buying Starbucks stock, and now Terry says, "Oh, I remember more about that." Oh. Nowadays, nowadays you you go online, and within two keystrokes, you've bought stock. Mm -hmm. Well, what did you do in the '90s? Well, you went down to Piper Jaffray, and you found a broker. And they advised you whether it was a smart decision or not, and then you gave them your money, and then they gave you a stock certificate. Yeah. Um, it was just a totally different world. So yeah, we didn't have the instant gratification that we have now where you just, you can do every, anything from your phone, sitting in your car, waiting in line for food. You know, it's like you can do all this stuff immediately and we don't, we forget how not that long ago things weren't that, that easy. Yep. So um, it's been fun, fun process. And um, I really hope the, 
the world appreciates it as much as you and I do, you know. Yeah. A little bit of money wouldn't hurt because uh, <laughs> well, it's not like you just write a book and you get rich. Exactly. Yeah, that was uh, one thing that I, I learned early on when I started. I decided I'm going to be an author. And I was like, oh, wait, that doesn't mean that, you know, you just it's not like getting hired at a new position where paychecks start coming in automatically on day one. Um, as soon as you're doing the work, you have to do all the work, put it out there and then just kind of let it grow over time. So, yep. Yeah. Yep. And now the book is coming out the, uh, sure. the end of September. Yeah. September 26th will be the national release. And, and I'm selling um, author copies direct online at KCGB book dot com um, and that's going out to you know mostly it's people who know me mm -hmm. um, but anybody who actually saw this if they wanted a copy there, there's a way to get one ahead of time perfect so um, you, you can be uh, in the early release group yeah 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 and um and so you you mentioned the website casey kcgb.com right kcgb book kcgb book.com .com. perfect uh, and um, also, I know you have a Facebook group or page. You've got what? What's the best way for people to support you once they buy the book and read the book and fall in love with it? And beforehand, what's the, the best way? Is it to join the Facebook page? Yeah. So the, it's uh, this is all part of the learning process, right? When you mm -hmm. you went to Amazon, and I think I asked you who you used to print your books when we first started. Yeah. Um. So I'm going. I'm through Ingram Spark. Nice. Um, is my print on demand at this point? Amazon's giving me a little business right now. I gotta, I gotta get back to them. But then that that branches out. So right now, Barnes and Noble has a pre-order listing, um, but it's getting reviews. Mm -hmm. uh, you know how getting that feedback. So Barnes and Noble has a listing that um, if you've read the book, you can leave a review. But Goodreads, okay, is another is another that has. Um, um, in fact, when one of my friends left a review that just floored me, mm. um, just appreciate hearing such nice feedback. Yeah, but, you know, I'd say Barnes and Noble and Goodreads, and 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 then it's kind of exciting when you see a listing in the UK for the uh, bookstore Foils, or there's one in Australia or one from South Africa, and you're like, wow, holy cow! Um, and then <laughs> you know, so it's it's just getting reviews yeah feedback um engagement on facebook certainly helps i mm. um i put out um little little stories and links um to try to drive engagement um you know i had a class reunion this last weekend that um, i was able to get you know copies out to a lot of classmates that gave great feedback and um right. and then hanging out in aberdeen yeah yeah, and and um, and you know, in case you all don't know about Kurt Cobain, Aberdeen was the place where his he spent his youth, yeah. and that's yeah, where he, he grew up. Yeah, um, he would have been. He went back to Aberdeen High School where I went. It would have been my senior year, so he went three years at Aberdeen. Uh, my okay. class there would have been one, and I honestly can't remember meeting him mm. at any at any point in time, which really actually fits with the story. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, Kurt came to our house in the summer of 1986 um, and met Tim, John, and my mom. And it was a very brief interaction, you know, mm -hmm. really uneventful outside of, you know, mom would have helped just about anybody. And so then how do you time 
how do you go forward 10 years, 11 years, and mom starts bringing up, you know, do you remember that kid? Does anybody remember that kid? And nobody remembered. Well, then, you know, five years after mom died, the two brothers start to remember, hey, mom was talking about somebody, and I think that was Kurt. You know, so they didn't remember him either. They had no idea they had ever met Kurt. So wow, yeah, I think that's a very compelling part of the story. Is that you know then when you go back, there's a little baseball piece in there, and come to find out, um, Tim and Terry and myself played twice that twice in 1970, whatever year that was. I'm losing my memory. <laughs> we played we played against them twice in yeah. 1978, actually. Wow. Well, and and what's one of the things that I thought was beautiful about this story was the way it was woven together from these conversations of, well, I talked to mom about this, but someone else talked to her separately. And until later where people are in the same room and that topic comes up, it's like, oh, wait, you know more about that. And when you start filling the things in, you did a beautiful job of actually uh, unfolding those conversations so that it kind of brought us along for that journey of like, oh, that because that's how things happen in families or in friend groups where it's like, oh, but wait, I know this other piece or I saw this other side of it. And all of a sudden you get the full picture. Yeah. That's it. At the, at the end in the back, back matter, you know, I kind of talk about, you know, that's the way the universe works. If you, if you put a question out there, mm-hmm. somehow it, it the answer starts to come back to you. Um, right. Some of that's part of the self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, you tell yourself you want something and pretty soon your mind starts finding ways to make it happen. Right. Um, but I had a lot, a lot of uh, people come forward and offer information that um, I would never have expected or it led me, it led me down a road to get the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then just something simple as sitting at the house as I'm, you know, two years into this project and having a conversation with Sherry. Um, dad's wife and she says oh by the way i went to school with kurt's mom and dad oh oh wow. tell one me more, more connection <laughs> yeah you know? and then wow. all of a sudden you know you learn something else and, mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of the way it all came together it's this is uh this is an accomplishment of everybody who's been in my life and helped me so my oh. name's on the cover but it's you know everybody who gives me has given feedback and helped mm-hmm. i love it well, the book is KCGB, The Boy from the Porch, My Dying Mom, and Kurt Cobain, A Memoir. Make sure you guys grab your copy. Uh, like we said, you can go to kcgbbook.com to get an author copy now. We're very shortly here. Uh, it's going to be out all over the world. I, I can't wait to see this uh, take off. Joe, it's going to be amazing. Oh, I hope so, too. <laughs> well, before we go, I got to ask you one little challenge for our users. How would you challenge them to own their awkward this week? Uh, Look in the mirror. uh, Believe in yourself. uh, Believe in what you see. um, Don't let somebody else's opinion of you hold you back. Um, You have to to be a four-year-old kid that's willing to break dance at a wedding reception (laughs) uh, in front of your entire family. If that's what you feel like doing, Um, that's what uh, my little cousin Andy would do (laughs) when there's big family get togethers. Um, 
you believe it more than anything, believe in yourself and, and put yourself out there. My, my crazy um, affirmation through the years, uh, I probably stole it from Deepak Chopra. Should I pronounce his name right? But um, all, all eternal and lasting change begins on the inside. You know, mm. it's in here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it works its way out. You know, so if you change the way you think, you can change the way you act. Yeah. Um, is, you know, something like that. The past is history. The future is a mystery. Mm-hmm. You know, this moment, this moment is a gift. That's why they call it the present. Um, something as corny as that is um, stay in the moment and believe in yourself. Yeah. Um, don't don't fill your, your mental thought process with garbage. Uh, and don't let anybody put their garbage in what you think of yourself. Hmm. Um, believe in yourself and continue to grow. I love it. And uh, it's such a good point that uh, even things that sound corny or that it's like, oh, it seems cliche to say this, but there's a reason why they're as popular or uh, said as often as they are, because there's truth behind it. Yeah, truth. That's the biggest thing is just believe in yourself. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, we used to, uh, we definitely used to have a lot of, a lot of family wedding. There was a chance, there was a time there where it was like every summer there was at least one or two weddings going on so yeah especially if you have have 13 cousins and they're all of similar age you're you're gonna have a lot of opportunity to to get out and dance yeah and that was that was my thing that was i was i was that little kid that that was crazy (laughs) no you're a good kid Uh, that was interesting hearing the story about you and maria you know with 13 Cousins filling up a small little two bedroom house at grandma and grandpa's or whatever is so you guys would hide under the kitchen table or something. Yeah, that was the spot. Well, it was no, always that thing of like, okay, if we can just find a place, stay out of the way, play, and then also not, um, not like my thing. Like when I was raising my kids, it was always like the more you're quiet or the less disruptive you are, the longer we can stay. So like maybe they'll forget about us. <laughs> yeah, we just went outside and played. Yeah. Yeah, that was fun too. Sweet. Well, Joe, anything else that we, we got to share before you go? No, uh, thank you for the opportunity uh, to share my my story and, and some thoughts and interact with your audience. Um, I'm very appreciative to, to you and to everybody who's helped me. Thank you, family. Thank you, Chip. Thank you, everyone. Well, thank you. It's been uh, It's been a blast. It's been amazing to see this come together. Um, like I said, I didn't know you were writing a book and all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, it's about Kurt Cobain too. <laughs> so, uh, it's going to be, uh, awesome to see it, get the attention it deserves out there. So, all right. Thanks. Thank you. And everybody else be sure to go out there and as always own your awkward. Thank you so much for listening in for today's show. Be sure to visit awkwardcareer.com to continue your journey. And of course, please like, subscribe, and share with your friends so they can find their awkward side and learn how to own it. 